0: So this morning, we are continuing in our sermon series. The gospel according to Jacob in our scripture reading is Genesis 32, 1 through 21. Jacob went on his way, and the angels of God met him. And when Jacob saw them, he said, this is God's camp. So he called the name of that place Mahanaim. And Jacob sent messengers before him to Esau, his brother, in the land of Seir, the country of Edom instructing them thus you shall say to the lord to my lord esau thus says your servant jacob i have sojourned with laban and stayed until now i have oxen donkeys flocks male servants and female servants i have sent to tell my lord in order that i may favor that i may find favor in your sight and the messengers returned to jacob saying We came to your brother Esau, and he is coming to meet you, and there are 400 men with him. Then Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed. He divided the people who were with him, and the flocks and herds and camels, into two camps, thinking, If Esau comes to the one camp and attacks it, then the camp that is left will escape. And Jacob said, O God of my father Abraham and God of my father Isaac, O Lord, who said to me, return to your country and to your kindred that I may do you good. I am not worthy of the least of all the deeds of steadfast love and all the faithfulness that you have shown to your servant. For with only my staff I crossed this Jordan, and now I have become two camps. Please deliver me from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him, that he may come in and attack me, the mothers with the children. But you said, I will surely do you good and make your offspring as the sand of the sea, which cannot be numbered for multitude. So he stayed there that night, and from what he had with him, he took a present for his brother Esau. Two hundred female goats and twenty male goats. Two hundred ewes and twenty rams, thirty milking camels and their calves, 40 cows and 10 bulls, 20 female donkeys and 10 male donkeys. These he handed over to his servants, every drove by itself, and said to his servants, pass on ahead of me and put a space between drove and drove. He instructed the first, when Esau to my brother meets you and asks you, to whom do you belong? Where are you going? And whose are these ahead of you? Then you shall say, they belong to your servant Jacob. They are a present sent to my lord Esau. And moreover, he is behind us. He likewise instructed the second and the third and all who followed the droves. You shall say the same thing to Esau when you find him. And you shall say, moreover, your servant Jacob is behind us. For he thought, I may appease him with the present that goes ahead of me. And afterward, I shall see his face. Perhaps he will accept me. So the present passed on ahead of him, and he himself stayed that night in the camp.
1: Well, hey, um, thanks, Hallie. Well, we've been in a series all summer, uh, the gospel according to Jacob, and each week, um, quite honestly, it's just so relatable. Uh, Jacob is one of those guys that is just who he is. He's pretty normal. In fact, he's pretty messed up. But what we've been seeing is that God's grace intervenes in his life at different moments, and it it changes him. And we've been saying all summer that this is really good news because we're not too far different from Jacob. In fact, we're pretty much like him. And that means there's hope. There's hope for people like you. There's hope for people like me to grow to know this God, to follow this God. And the relatability continues this week um, because we read this in verse 7, that Jacob was greatly afraid. And we'll get into a moment, more of the specifics, but to simply take note, in the original language, that is a very strong statement of fear. Jacob is anxious and he is afraid and today we get to see how God meets him in his anxiety and his fear. And here's the deal, no matter who you are this morning, no matter what you believe about life or about God, you've experienced sleepless nights, Uh, you've experienced sweaty palms, some of you have experienced panic attacks. Not too long ago I heard the stat that... 31% of teenagers are suffering with an anxiety disorder. It's almost one out of every three. 50% of all freshmen at college seek help for anxiety. Uh, It's pretty clear uh, it's an epidemic. And here's Jacob, who's experiencing great anxiety and fear like you and me. And this passage shows us three things. It tells us what's at the root of our fear and our anxiety. Secondly, it tells us what we can do with our fear and anxiety. And thirdly, it tells us what we most need in our fear and anxiety. So, relatable? Yeah, I think so. Let's pray. We'll get in. Father, um, this morning, would you take this passage and who you are, God, to Jacob, and would you work it into our lives? Would we see you new and afresh? And would you give us soft hearts, bendable wills, and give us a simple faith to respond? We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, what's, what's at the root of our fear um, when we catch up in this text to Jacob at this point in his life, we saw last week he's fleeing Laban, this uncle who's not been very nice to him, who's actually been very unjust, very unfair, and he, he is rescued by God out of there. And you might think, well, hey, this is great. All is going well. But there's really one problem. And his name is Esau. It's his twin brother. And you may remember for Jacob, earlier on in his life, at the very beginning, he had dressed up like his brother Esau. And he had gone to his father and he had stolen the firstborn blessing of Esau. And Esau was absolutely incensed. In fact, the passage says that he was intent to kill him, which is why Jacob fled in the first place to Laban. And now it's 20 years later, two decades. And he has to go back. And he has to meet Esau again. And the question is, how's Esau doing? What's he been up to? How is he going to respond to Jacob? And the passage tells us something interesting about Esau. It says that Jacob sends messengers, and they actually don't go to Canaan. They go to a place called Sierre, which, which means the, the past 20 years, Esau has not been... How do I say it? He's been busy. Uh, And it means this. It means he's been so busy, he's been able to dispossess the people in that land. Which means he's got some level of power, some level of influence, he's gained wealth, he's gained status. And here comes Jacob with his family. Very vulnerable. And so, as Jacob sends messengers ahead... He instructs them to say the following Thus you shall say to my Lord Esau, thus says your servant Jacob. And it's here we begin to see some of the transformation that's taken place in Jacob's life. Uh, when he's, by staying Esau as Lord and himself as a servant, he is relinquishing the right to the firstborn blessing that he has stolen. He's actually simply just trusting God to fulfill it. Uh, Jacob is humbling himself before his brother. And you might think that this is maybe just merely a wise ploy, a wise strategy. I mean, in fact, he's the weaker position at this point. It's probably good for him to do that, and it is. But we must remember that God has been at work in his life for 20 years. Uh, In fact, if you remember, at one point, uh, Laban tricked him and gave him the older sister for his wife. He's been on the other side of tasted the very own medicine that he dished out to his brother Esau. And he's different. He doesn't want to live that way anymore. God is at work here in his life as he comes back to meet Esau. Now, the messengers go, tell Esau what what he's been up to with, with Laban and how he's accumulated oxen and donkeys and all the sorts of things. And as he does that, one of the things he's trying to communicate to Esau is, hey, I don't need anything from you. I'm not coming to take anything from you. And the messenger's close with by saying that Jacob's desire is to find favor in Esau's sight. And so Jacob has taken a wise first step in reconciliation with his brother. But then the messengers return. And there's actually no message from Esau. There's no words. The messengers simply relate that Esau is coming to meet him with 400 men, which is why we get to verse 7, Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed. He fears that now Esau is going to complete that which he desired to do 20 years earlier. And what's interesting is Jacob now is stuck and he's Geographically stuck. Because last week we saw him sign a non-aggression pact with Laban. And they put a statue, a marker, right here. Don't go past this. And so he can't go back. And he can't go forward. He's just stuck. And friends, this is this is really. At what's the root of our fear and anxiety. Jacob's not in control. And he's vulnerable. He's like you. And he's like me. I remember a couple years ago, meeting with a young woman when I was a chaplain in town here. And um, she was uh, kind of a a lifeguard for the Iron Man. And she had reached out because... um, there's another Iron Man coming up in town here, and she's kind of over, you know, kind of taking care of everything, and unfortunately, there'd been a couple instances the last three to five years in various races in which she'd been in that position, and there'd been uh, a young man and an older man that actually died. And uh, we were meeting at Barik's, and I remember she was just gripped by fear and anxiety, Uh, She she was talking about the plans she had made for the upcoming event, but there was a point at which at one point I just said this, (laughs) the reality is you're not in control. You're limited. And it was interesting because it was one of those moments where you could almost see it just hit. In a weird way, it was kind of good news. In other sense, it was very stressful. But think about it for a moment for you. Uh, It may be a relationship that's gone sour, and you're trying to reconcile, but you're not in control of their heart. Uh, It might be past sins or shortcomings, and you're finally having to come to terms with them. It might be a new transition to a new season of life. Perhaps it's going from grade school to middle school, or graduate to college, or college or first job, or single or married, the list goes on. But the reality is the reason why fear and anxiety hit us in those moments is simply this. You're not in control, and you're vulnerable. Jacob's stuck. So the question is, what's he gonna do? And that's the second point. What can we do with our fear and our anxiety? And Jacob does two things. He plans and he prays. He, he makes a plan. He, his plan is twofold. He takes his camp, he divides it into two. Verse 8 says If Esau comes to one camp, attacks it, then the camp that is left will escape. The second part of his plan is verses 13 to 21. Uh, he sends gifts in multiple successions 200 goats. Uh, <laughs> 20 male goats, 200 ewes, 20 rams, 30 milking camels, 40 cows, 10 bulls, 30 donkeys. And each set of gifts moves forward with the hope that, as verse 20 says, that I may appease him. Perhaps he will accept me. In short, he hopes he can win his brother over with this large offering of gifts. And it's a lot. But the second thing he does is he prays. And it gives us a window into the inner work of what God has been doing in Jacob's life. It's interesting, when he was 20 years earlier in the same route going to Laban, he was self-reliant and self-sufficient. God had to show up and actually interrupt him. But now on the way back, after 20 years, Jacob goes to God. And his prayer is fantastic a wonderful prayer. Look, look with me at the opening of verse 9. He says this, O God of my father, Abraham, and God of my father, Isaac, O Lord who said to me, return to your country and to your kindred that I may do you good. Uh, Jacob begins by simply addressing God with who God revealed him to be 20 years earlier, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac. And then he reminds God, hey, you're the one at the beginning of chapter 1 that told me to go back to the land, and that's what I'm doing. I've been obedient. And then he goes on, and this is remarkable. Verse 10, he says, I am not worthy of the least of all the deeds of steadfast love and all the faithfulness that you have shown to your servant. With only my staff, I, I crossed this Jordan, and now I have become two camps. Jacob is humble. He recognizes that his address to God is not because God is obligated to serve him. He recognizes actually that he's been unfaithful to God. But what does he do? He leans in again to God's grace. That's actually God's faithfulness, his steadfast love. That's what I'm relying on. And not only that, in that text, he identifies himself as a servant of God. This is remarkable. Do you notice this? Jacob, who used to, with God, say, hey, if you'll do this, then you'll be my God, is now saying, I am your servant. You are my God. And then in verse 11, it's just a simple appeal. Please deliver me from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him that he may come and attack me, the mothers with the children. Uh, Jacob's just honest. Here's what I'm asking. Please rescue me and my family. And then verse 12, he goes back to God's promise to him. But you said, verse 12, I will surely do you good and make your offspring as the sand of the sea, which cannot be numbered for multitude. In short, he bases his petition, everything, on God's promises, of what God said he would do. Listen, this is a beautiful picture of someone relating to God in their anxiety and their fears. One, in planning, but two, in praying. Listen, some of us, if we're honest, um, in the midst of our anxieties and fears, uh, we go a different direction, don't we? Um, sometimes, if we're honest, we hit the eject button and we just want to escape the moment, right? It's like, could I binge another like, Netflix series and get my mind off of this? For others of us, it might be, uh, I'm just gonna get a beer. Try to get my mind off of this. Others of us go into planning mode. We want to prepare for every kind of contingency but I think if, for most of us, including myself here, prayer is oftentimes absent or sometimes just really hard to even do. Um, I remember a few years ago, when one of our kids was struggling with migraines, uh, and it's one of those seasons where it was just happening, you know, week after week, and, you know, you don't know if there's more going on. Um, and it takes a long time to get in to see a doctor. And I remember when I'd come home and it'd be a situation where the migraine would be hitting, um, it was really hard for me to pray. Uh, Oftentimes, I felt things like this. Um, uh, One, I was like, I think God has bigger things going on right now in the world than this situation here. Other times, I felt like, well, I prayed last time, and it didn't go away. And then one time I didn't pray and it did go away. So, what am I to do? Does my prayer really make a difference? But here's the thing in, in those moments, um, it was revealing what I really believed about God, right? That, that season was saying, This is what you really think about God. And it was hard. Quite honestly, When I prayed at times because I knew I should, I felt fake. Other times, I didn't pray. Other times, it felt like my prayers were hitting the ceiling. But here's the thing. I want you to see Jacob, and I want you to understand something. No matter where you are on the spectrum this morning, in terms of praying in the midst of your fears and anxieties, this is actually where God wants to take us. Do you realize this, that... uh, (laughs) In the book of Genesis, this is the longest prayer. And it's Jacob. Who would have thought Jacob was the model prayer? (laughs) I mean, if he can pray, certainly I can learn to pray, right? He leans in and he simply requests, God, please deliver me from my brother. Listen, I think sometimes in the midst of our fears and anxieties, it's a little bit like physical therapy, Prayer is like physical therapy. It's one of those things where it's like, I don't think much is going on. I don't think I can do much. But like, week in, week out, you grow. I would say this in the midst of your fear and anxiety, one of the things this passage shows us is plan, but also pray. But there's one more thing, and it's what we most need in our fear. Listen, what's interesting about this passage is Jacob has no idea what the next day is going to bring. His planning is not a foolproof plan. Esau could simply divide his militia, kill both families. Esau could take all the gifts and say, well, I'll just get more and I'll kill Jacob. Jacob's prayer, it's a good prayer. It's a really good prayer. But at the end of the day, Jacob does not know how God is going to answer. And that's what's probably most unnerving about this passage. Is that the reality is, in the midst of our anxieties and fears, we have no guarantee what is coming down the pike the next day. We can pray. We can plan. And yet the next day... It's still a question mark. To take a cue from a close friend of mine who preached this passage, Brian, um, at this point he said, "This can I be honest with you?" And I want to be honest with you. I'll just say this: vocationally, things have shifted so much in our day. When I moved here 13 years ago, with a vision to see many churches planted, there was, I would say, a huge wind at our back. Much unity and vision in the broader church all seemed well. And now 13 years later, in the wake of a pandemic, all the social upheaval, one church leader put it this way, almost half of my contacts no longer talk to me. In other words, there's great fracturing in the church. Who knows what the next 10 or 20 years is going to bring? Or to get granular for a moment, you know, this is the time of year for planning and prayer for the year ahead. Our staff team met this last week. Um, we're organizing city groups, talking about children's ministry, thinking about preaching series and all, this, all these things. And here's the point. At the end of the day, I'm going to pray, I'm going to plan, but who knows what's going to happen in a year? Who knows how it's going to go? Or how about this? We are 464 days from the November election. Did your blood just rise? Blood pressure just rise? I know it's going to bring strife and disunity. How about this? For some of you, like Jacob, you're walking into relationships and hard conversations and you don't know how it's going to end. Or like Jacob, it's a season of transition for you. List them out. New school. New friends. New community. New city. And you hope that it's going to get better, but you don't know. There's no guarantee. Like Jacob, we have no idea what the next day will bring. So what do we most need? You know, one of the strange things about this passage that's actually essential to understanding it is the very beginning. Look with me at verses one and two. It said this Jacob went on his way, and the angels of God met him. And when Jacob saw them, he said, This is God's camp. So he called the name of that place Mahanehem. Notice this um, Jacob enters this new place, and he meets angels. And that, that, that term Mahanehem means two camps, and it means one camp where God is and one camp where he is. And Bruce Walkie, a great Hebrew scholar, in his commentary bridges this moment to our lives when he says this, whatever we are facing, it is a matter of two camps. In other words, 20 years earlier when Jacob was going to see Laban, God showed up and he met him with angels. And there's a promise, I will be with you. And now on the flip side, 20 years later, what do we see? Angels. And it means this. God is with him. And here's what it means. What you most need is that. What you most need, what I most need, in the midst of whatever the next day holds, is this promise that God will be with you. Psalm 34.7 says this, The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him, and he delivers them. Which means this, whatever is on the other side, whatever the future holds for Jacob, God will be with him and he can face it. And that means whatever, is on the, fu- whatever the future holds for you, Whatever the future holds, God will be with you and he can face it. And and brothers and sisters, listen to this. The reason we know this to be true today, even more than Jacob knew then, is that there was another descendant of Jacob who would come. And do you remember that night where this one was betrayed and the disciples picked up swords and Jesus said, put them away. I could call 12 legions of angels But he didn't. In fact, he would go to the cross and he'd be crucified, and he would say to his father, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And the whole reason for that is so that you would never be forsaken, so that you would always know that he is with you. Because of Christ's death on the cross, for your sin and mine, it means that in our moments of fear and anxiety, then most assuredly, God is with you. Let me invite the band up as we close here. Charles Spurgeon, <clears throat> in 1886, The sermon said this, The possession of a God or the non-possession of a God makes the greatest possible difference. For if you have God for your portion, your whole history is covered. The God of the past has blotted out your sin. The God of the present makes all things work for your good. And the God of the future will never leave you or forsake you. In God, you are prepared for every emergency. O man, if the God of Jacob is your God, you shall be safe at night, though you may sleep as unguarded as a patriarch at Bethel, and you shall be secure by day, though you be met by Esau with 400 men. It matters not where you go if the God of Israel is with you. There is no use in having a God if you do not use him. Friends, some of you this morning, you're not a Christian. Do you have a God? Let me implore you, if you do not know Christ, that He is the one who has given Himself up for you and loves you all the way down and knows you all the way down. Give yourself to Him. He will not only take away your sin, He will meet you in all the midst of your anxieties and your fears. Do you know that? And, brothers and sisters, if you're a Christian, There is no use in having a God if you do not use him. And because Christ has gone before you and has done all that's needed to reconcile a relationship back to him, do you understand the confidence that you can go into his presence? Therefore, go to him with all your anxieties and fears and know to the very end he is with you. He is steadfast and he is faithful And he is with you. Let's pray. Father, this morning, uh, we are anxious and we are fearful. We do not know what lies ahead. But we are grateful for this promise. You promise that you will be with us. And so we pray today that you would give us strength And grace to trust you. That you are steadfast and that you are faithful. And that you will not leave us. You did not leave Jacob. And you will not leave us. So we entrust you. We entrust ourselves to your care. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.